Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 64. And we're going to do the readings for Tuesday of the first week of Lent. Tuesday, the first week of Lent. So if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It would be a great help. So let's begin with the opening prayer, the act of contrition in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision, Christe elision, Christe elision, Christe elision, kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. May Almighty God bless us and bless those who hear this podcast. And uh, may the Lord help me to give a good interpretation to the passage of scriptures. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Queen of Heaven, please pray for us. Saint Joseph, guardian of the church, please pray for us. Saint Augustine, Saint Jerome, Saint Thomas Aquinas, and Saint Michael the Archangel, pray for us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so um, and we are now going to do the readings for Tuesday, okay, sorry, I went to the wrong spot here, Tuesday for the um, first week of Lent, okay, so uh, here, the entrance antiphon is from Psalm 90, O Lord, you have been our refuge from generation to generation, from age to age, you are. O Lord, you have been our refuge from generation to generation, from age to age you are. Okay, that was Psalm 90. I don't think that was a good translation, but I'm not, I'm not responsible for that. Uh, from generation to generation, from age to age you are. Well, it probably should have ended you are God. But anyway, um, sometimes translations, translators... Um, try to be, uh, try to be as accurate as they can, but sometimes they try to be a little too fancy. Um, but there's, I know I remember hearing somewhere that sometimes you have to figure out how, how would you communicate the message in the vernacular language if, as if God had, spoken to you directly in the vernacular language which means uh, our own common tongue 
Um, you know, that's, I know that's probably a very tough job. I'm sure. I mean, I can't imagine. All right. So, um, let's begin, uh, with the first reading, which is Isaiah 55. It's from verse 10 to 11. My word will do whatever I will. That's the, uh, the title and a reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Amen. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens, the rain and snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth and it shall not return to me void, but, sh but shall do my will and achieving the end for which I sent it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let's read it one more time. Okay. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down, and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows, and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall do, shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Isaiah 55, verse 10 to 11, one more time. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down, and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. So let's see what God is trying to, uh, what God is saying to us, what God wants us, wants us to understand. Um, thus says the Lord, just as the rain, just as from the heavens, the rain and snow comes down and do not return there till they have watered the earth making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. And it continues. I mean, this is something we, we you know, I read already, but it doesn't stop there. But shall, but shall do my will, achieving to the end, for which I sent it. The word of God shall not come back to the Lord void. It shall achieve its end. So God's word will complete its, its mission. And we can say, I mean, pretty much Jesus 
God gave us his only begotten son and did not return till he has achieved his mission. And Jesus said that a grain of seed that, that falls to the earth, if it does not die and produce, you know, it, you know, if it doesn't die, it remains only a grain of seed. In other words, if it doesn't get planted, buried in the soil, that is, and it doesn't, uh, it has to be a sprout, it has to sprout, it has to be watered, it has to grow, it has to produce uh, abundant harvest, it achieves its mission. Jesus uses those as metaphors referring to uh, the believers, those who come into faith in him. The word of God has to produce fruit. It has to convert hearts. We're the soil. We're the, you know, the, the word comes into our lives. We read the Bible. We read the scriptures. We pray the scriptures. We don't just read it. We pray it. We don't just read the gospels. We pray the gospels. We have to, it has to produce change in us. It has to produce change, conversion. For those of us who, who seek and hunger for God, who hunger for his, for his righteousness, for, for, his, for his righteousness, his holiness, we, we have to change. We have to become holy because the Lord our God is holy. You know, thus says the Lord, just as the, just as from the heavens, the rain and snow come down. Rain and snow comes down. It waters. It. The earth is thirsty. We ourselves are thirsty. Just as Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman, he describes himself as living water because living water gives life. Still waters become still and stale and dirty. And usually, in many cases, that's that really, in a sense, describes the world. Filthy, dirty. Constantly, the earth is always, it's funny, like they describe, always about recycling water. Recycled water. It's water that has already been used it's water that has already been that, that that has already been used to be washed with but god gives us clean water fresh water from the heavens he doesn't give us recycled water he gives us clean rain he sends us snow he doesn't give us recycled water the world gives us their recycled philosophies, their recycled science. God gives us always something fresh and new and clean. The world keeps talking about saving the planet. God is the one who takes care of the planet. And God takes care of our souls. He gives us his word, his eternal word. It refreshes the soul. It's sweeter than honey. It strengthens us. It makes us clean. 
it purifies the heart and the mind. God's word is always, always a guarantee. Never, never, never is, does he does he ever break his word. He accomplishes his word. And it makes us new. He gives us bread. He feeds us, not just physically, but with, but his son feeds the soul through his body, the Eucharist. And he makes us into a new creature. Makes us into new people. He gives us the dignity, the dignity we deserve. He gives us the, the, the integrity we need. He molds his own word. His own word molds us into his image, making us holy people, a true people. While the world, the world just wants to keep constantly break us down. The world just gives us the same nonsense over and over again. And it doesn't improve. It doesn't get better. It sees us nothing more as tool, as pawns on their board, on their chessboard. <clears throat> God's word is true. God's word is true. God's word is holy. God's word is strength. God opens our, God's word opens our eyes, opens our mind, opens the very depth of our being. God's word is true and will always be true. Never forget that. It will always be true. The more you read God's word, the more you become, you're molding and you're being shaped into the person that God wants us to be. Don't ever forget that. And God always guides us on the right path, on the true path of holiness. Not on the path, not, not, not with these, with these, perversions and, and their empty celebrities and their empty philosophers and teachers. And even their, their religious leaders are empty. Their spiritual leaders are empty. You know, whether they be Christian or whether they be pagan, whether they, whether they be empty humanistic philosophies or even what you call uh, those who want to call themselves Catholic, they become like them. But, but we, we want to become like Christ. We want the real Christ. We want the real, the true word of God. Not the word created by, by men. All right, let's go on. Just remember, this is Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11. It's actually quite beautiful. Let me read it one more time for you. My word will do whatever I will. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down and do not return there till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. It's very beautiful. 
All right, let's go on to Psalm. The next, uh, the Psalm is going to be Psalm 35. I'm sorry, 34. 34. Okay, Psalm 34, and the response is, From all the distress, God rescues the just. From all the distress, God rescues the just. Psalm 34, from all their distress, God rescues the just. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us together extol his name. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. From all their distress, God rescues the just. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy, and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard, and from all his distress he saved him. From all their distress God rescues the just. The Lord has eyes for the just, and ears for their cry. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. From all their distress God rescues the just. When the just cry out, the Lord hears them, and from all their distress he rescues them. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and those who are crushed in spirit he saves. From all their distress God rescues the just. Okay. All right, so let's read it one more time. From all the distress God rescues the just. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us go together, extol his name. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. From all their distress, God rescues the just. Look to him that you may not that, look to him that you may be radiant with joy, and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one called out, the Lord heard, and from all his distress he saved him. From all their distress, God rescues the just. The Lord has eyes for the just and ears for their cry. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy, destroy remembrance of them from the earth. From all their distress, God rescues the just. When the just cry out, the Lord hears them. And from all their distress, he rescues them. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit he saves. From all their distress, God rescues the just. Okay. Now, this, let's see what what we can learn from, from what God is telling us here. From all the distress, God rescues the just. So God, the response here, God God hears us when we're in distress. And those who are truly sincere, those who truly seek him, God rescues those who are, he, he sees as just. So obviously, this is a response to those who have a relationship with God. Um, <clears throat> glorify the Lord with me. Let us together extol his name. The word extol means in crying out to God enthusiastically. It, it means crying out to God with great, great joy and enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. That's the, that's a, obviously it's a very fancy word. It's not a word I use every day. Uh, let us 
together extol his name. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Glorify the Lord with me. The, the psalmist is, is asking the people to glorify God with him. Obviously, it's, it's from a very uh, distressful time or, or, or a time of great need. Maybe they're going to be attacked. Maybe they're suffering from famine. It, the Psalms are written from, for every occasion you can possibly think of. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Okay, from all his fears, <clears throat> from all his distress. Look to him that you may be radiant with joy and your faces may not blush with shame. In other words, go to him with a clear conscience. Look to him with clear conscience and don't let anything get in the way with your relationship. Remember when I said the word fear? It's not necessarily fearing God like you fear a very violent parent. That's not what it means. What it means is fear the things that get in the way between your relationship and God's relationship. Your relationship with God, you should always protect, guard and protect. Protect everything. But, you know, keep, you know, keep your relationship with God with completely guarded, guarded from any sin, anything that gets in the way that's paganistic, anything that gets in the way that's perverted. Make sure there's nothing that gets in, you know, that, that, that comes into your heart that can keep God out of your life. Don't let that happen. Um, look to him that you may be radiant with joy and your faces may not bless with shame. When the poor one called out to the Lord, called out, the Lord heard. And from all his distress, he saved him from the poor one. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean financially poor, but it means also someone who has was poor and it, and realized their state of sin makes them poor. A sinful life can make one poor. Poverty stricken from 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 God without God's grace. You know, those are the things that can make us poor. Living in a state of sin, living in perversion makes us poor. Makes us really poor people because a person who's financially poor but has God in their life is richer than the person who is living in a state of mortal sin. Let's remember that. The poor called out to the Lord and he, the Lord heard, or called out and the Lord heard, and from all his distress he saved him. From all his from the sinful state he saved him. From from temptations he saves him. The Lord has eyes for the just and ears for for their cry. He will hear those who who are truly holy. Remember, you have to have a relationship with God. Don't take the Psalms for granted. Don't take this relationship with God for granted. A lot of people have a very, very um, mis misguided, misunderstanding view about God. 
as though, yeah, God can hear the cry of anyone, anyone on earth. But God is not, you know, but God is a God who wants a relationship with people. He wants an inter-spiritual relationship. It's not that he's just sitting there and waiting for somebody to call him. He's not. He he wants a true relationship. He doesn't want people to take him for granted. Remember the Israelites, they took him for granted in Egypt. After all that he did for them, they treated him like they treated the pagan gods. Okay, they treated God, our Lord. They treated the, the, the creator of the universe. They treated him the same as they would treat any pagan God on the sidelines. All right, they simply thought, they, they really did. They, they, they did not really took God, for, uh, took God seriously. Even when Moses came. Which proves that miracles don't necessarily, are not always necessarily the answer. For some people, the miracle will prove, will, 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 um, will solidify their faith. It will, you know, it will just be a tool to help them grow more into their faith. But once they know God is real, they don't know, they don't need any more miracles. Because he obviously has proven himself to be real. But the Israelites didn't take it that way. The Israelites were very, very selfish people. That's why the, the Bible always tends to go back to Israel. I mean, to Israel in Egypt. It'll always go back. And it'll always point out to their failures, how their fathers failed in the desert. And it will always point out to how their fathers failed when they came to the land and they turned to paganism. They will always, the Bible always turns back to their history of failure. In a sense, like I said, Israel is a type picture of the church and our, us as Christians, we have a history of failure too. The book of Revelation mentions seven churches, many of them gone from history, which proves it can happen that God is act, Christ is active in history the churches that failed to to, to 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 stay true to the word of God and sadly it looks like today these same churches are going to prove themselves failure too because they're going to take the they're going to take God for granted they're going to take our Lord Jesus Christ for granted they're turning the gospel into the gospel of modernism. They're taking the gospel and making it into a secular humanism to clear their conscience because they don't want to fight sin or some of them are living in a state of sin, which sadly is going to bring judgment to to the Western world. It already has. It already has. Look at this. Look at this. Look at all this is happening around us. You know, uh, a a dark and uh endless uh lent and then we get now we, and you know and it seems like uh you know with with the pandemic the shutdown and then this this horrible uh cold chill of a winter and then who knows what's going to come up next but because we are not repented of our sins the church the church needs to get its act back together again and it needs to start Stop being afraid of persecution. 
Persecution is part of the Christian faith. We have to accept it. You know, and it, you know, it's 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 a very beautiful. I mean, some going going on. The Lord has eyes for the just and ears for their cry. The Lord confronts evildoers and destroys remembrance of them from the earth. You see, evildoers and destroys the remembering remembrance of them from the earth. Those who practice evil will be destroyed. It, in God's own time, he'll do it, not our own timetable. That's that's one of the things Christians get very, very, very earnest. Some people, because why does God remain silent for so long? He has his own timetable. He has his own timetable when he'll decide to take action. This is this is God. This is the way God is. And once he does that, he does it. Remember. The days of Noah. When the day when the days came, Noah and his family went into the ark, and it was God who shut the door of the ark. And the rains came, and the door was not opened. Did not open. No matter how painful it was to hear those cries out there, the doors did not open. Alright? And it continued until finally all those people who were wicked. I know it's painful. People wonder, did that mean little children? Guess what? Sometimes children carry the spirit of their parents in them. You know how some kids, I mean, think about it. You, you, people can complain about someone on the right and say, and with some kid who comes from a very patriotic father, my, my daddy would never tell me something that's a lie. Well, what about the progressive kid, the very progressive kid who, whose parents are teaching them uh, all these, these new philosophies, these new values, these new genders, these new uh, views about sexuality. My parents would never tell me something that's a lie. A very sophisticated kid, a very educated kid, sounds almost like an adult. My parents always tell me the truth about bigots and racists and white supremacists, things like that. You know, you, you get that. You know, a Christian parent wants their, wants their child not, you know, to, 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 to be a Christian and to be cautious. And if they're going to take their kid and send their kid to an, uh, a Catholic church, because the truth is, a person of faith is never going to win in a in a, in a, in a secular in a secular school system. They're always going to come out looking like the liar, and so you have to uh, be tolerant and be inclusive and be and stop being uh, someone who is uh, contrary to the you know to to the school system. You can't win. You got to you, you. They're not. They're they're going to. They're going to make you compromise your values. And your kid's salvation is always going to be in danger. You want your child to know God. And you want the child to be strengthened in faith. And to be able to deal boldly. You know, but, you know, but with, 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 with great mercy against a secular system. That's what you want. You want your kid to mature in the faith. 
and to be able to navigate. It's going to be a very difficult world for us. But we all have to navigate and we have to. And the thing is, just like all the early Christians, they had to live among the pagans. But they had to be truth and light to them. The pagans actually didn't take care of their poor. Uh, even though now they have what they call like a welfare system and a healthcare system. But the truth is, we got to look very, we got to be very carefully of these things run by the government. The Christians are the ones who took care of the orphans of the pagans. The Christians are the ones who started going around the city with food, giving out food to the poor and helping them, those who were sick and the elderly. That's how, that's how Christianity won. Christianity, Christianity is the one who, who had a, uh, a charitable, like sort of like a Salvation Army thing, approach, a mission. And it won. And people saw this. People saw this about, about them. People saw how a pagan society didn't care about them. And they noticed how a pagan society, you know, the pagan society just used them whenever they were, they were resources. Being poor, you were a resource to them for their army, for their entertainment. For, to to the early Christians, you were a human being made in the image and likeness of God that needed to hear the word of God and to remember the fact that you are given a, a, a dignity that that comes only from God, an integrity that comes only from God. Okay, let's go to uh, Psalm 34. I mean, I'm sorry, we went, let's, go, let's go to the next reading, which is... Uh, the gospel. All right. So now we're going to go to the gospel. It's going to be from the gospel of Matthew chapter six, verse seven to 15. And the verse before the gospel, which is supposed to be like the um, antiphon. What does one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Okay, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. This is how you are to pray. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 to 15. Jesus said to his disciples, I am praying, uh, in praying, Jesus said to his disciples, in praying, do not babble like the pagans who think that they will be heard because of their many words do not be like them your father knows what you need before you ask him this is how you are to pray our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil if you forgive men their transgressions your heavenly father will forgive you but if you do not forgive men neither will your father forgive your transgression the word of the lord thanks be to god all right let's read it one more time Okay, the the uh, Antiphon verse, I'm sorry, I didn't say it earlier. It's from Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Okay, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. This is how you are to pray. 
A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 7 to 15. Jesus said to his disciples, In praying, do not babble like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you, before you ask him. This is how you are to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your transgressions. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so let's understand what Jesus is saying to us. All right, so this is part of the Sermon on the Mountain, but Matthew, um, Levi, son of Alphaeus, was a tax collector. He was a Jew, but some think he was obviously, he was very familiar with rabbinical teaching. He was very familiar with the, with the Torah. He was very familiar with Jewish, with the, the, the Jewish scriptures. It's obvious Matthew was, and he, he understood it even though he was working as a tax collector for the Romans, he understood the Jewish scriptures quite well. Um, Matthew, I think many of the apostles uh, were picked, not because they were scholars, but because they were, you know, though some of them, they had different degree of relation uh, of education. Jesus knew that about them, but he also knew he also knew quite well that they had a completely good understanding of the scriptures. They had a good knowledge of it. If not, I mean, if they, if Jewish teaching was not clear to them, the scriptures were not clear to them. Most people were not, even the most educated person like Nicodemus, who, were, who was very familiar with the scriptures. Most Jews were, but they did not, it did not fully make sense to them they could they, they know a passage from isaiah they would know a passage from deuteronomy they would know a passage from genesis um they would know a passage from the psalms but the interpretation the meaning of them was not fully clear matthew uh, you know it wouldn't be till after pentecost they would understand the prophecies. They would understand um, what was expected about the Messiah. That was something that would come later on. Now, Matthew modeled every part of the Sermon on the Mountain almost according to the five books of Moses. Jesus goes up the mountain, sits on the mountain. His disciples come to him. He opens his mouth and he begins the, you know, teaching on the mountain. If you look at the way Matthew lined it up, he lined up every um, discourse, obviously from different stages, but he put it, he decided to line it up 
And Jesus probably taught in the same manner, sitting on, on some hilltop, which is similar to a Mount Sinai. He modeled Jesus after Moses, and he wanted, he wanted the people to see that about him. And he basically modeled it all related to the commandments, to the law. He has, Jesus says, I have, did not think they have come to destroy the law of the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. And this is something we have to understand that. So when it comes to the part here about prayer, now, the point, there's a lot more details to it. He warns the people, Jesus warns the people not to pray like the Pharisees, not to show off your prayer. The Our Father is a model is is basically it's it's an official prayer for the church for all christians for everyone who professes jesus christ the our fathers for them but the important thing what jesus is saying is about the pagans he also says it about the pharisees don't show off your prayer don't go trying to show off to use your prayer to get respect or to get people to judge you with a a different light that's not what he wants he wants us to be sincere in our relationship with our Father, to be sincere in, in the holiness we want. And this is something that was very important. It was, you know, it was very important that Christians learn to worship God in the heart, not using the synagogue, not using Jewish custom and tradition, not using uh, very fancy, holy prayer shawls, uh, or we call those those boxes that they uh with the with the with the leather straps wrapped around their wrists uh their arms which is the right the left side and then the the big boxes on their forehead with, with a piece of script they all have a piece of scripture and jesus is saying they like to, they like to you they like people to see them in it because they want to show off and who knows maybe that is true maybe it's you know human beings do like to show off that's 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 true we want to show off. Hey, look at me! I'm, I, I got the latest fashion. Hey, I got the latest car. Hey, I got the latest uh, pair of sneakers. Hey, I got the latest uh, new uh, new sportswear. Things like that. And when it comes to holiness, is no different for some people. You know, someone you know one you know walks down the street on a Sabbath and he's got his prayer show on and it's long. And he's moving, you know, and he's got his tassel, the tassels, whatever, wrapped around his forehead and his arm. And Jesus, to Jesus, why are you being such a hypocrite? Why are you being such a show off? Things like that. It's, it's, it's easy. It's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy. But the meaning of the Our Father is you're acknowledging God. Jesus changed everything. He's telling us that the relationship with God is a father and his children. Jesus was the first one, was the first one to actually take, I mean, they did refer to him as a father, but Jesus turned it into an actual real relationship with a father. He's, a, he's really, truly a relationship. That's what Jesus wants us to remember. Our Father, who art in heaven, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. And then your kingdom come and may your will be done. 
and then he makes it here on earth as in as in heaven so on earth these things are important that god rules both heaven and earth he wants them to realize that he, jesus wants them to, wants us to realize he's your heavenly father he rules both here and there then he goes on to say something very interesting give us this day our daily our daily bread now it's interesting about the greek version it doesn't say it like this it's not it, it's not ordinary bread the actual Greek makes it quite clear. It's a super substantial bread, whatever. It's it's a it's it's a it's a heavenly bread, and it's a special kind of bread, not a bread that is earthly. So, daily bread is is the way uh, uh, Jerome uh, is translated from the Greek, but it's actually more. There's more to the word which unfortunately English is hard to translate, but it means uh, daily, it, it, you know, he tr it's translated daily bread. As we forgive those who trespass against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All right, I brought out a Greek commentary here. It's a, uh, basically, um, Eastern Orthodox Bible of the New Testament. I wanted to get a better. I didn't feel I did a good job with the um, translation of what daily bread. Here it gives you a little something interesting here. Ready? Uh, here. Give us this day our sustaining bread. Not daily bread, but sustaining bread. In the liturgical form... Um, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I like to actually look into uh, why sustain, sustaining, obviously, it referring to the Eucharist. But I think, you know, again, it needs to be a little bit more um, the meaning. Now, here, down here in the footnote, it gives you here the footnote. Or also, super substantial. This is a rare word which also imply imply the idea of the future of tomorrow. As in the gospel, the gospel of the Hebrews, Mahar, uh, and several Coptic manuscripts. Origin of Alexandria, he was a church father, and John Chrysostom and Saint Jerome opted for the meaning necessary for existence. Okay, necessary for existence is uh, our bread that is necessary for our existence, which, which the uh, this particular translation conveys as sustaining, sustaining, very interesting, sustaining. Uh, so the bread is super substantial, sustaining daily bread it is the bread for now uh, the now the, the present and for the future for our salvation it's obviously it's referring to his to the real presence uh but also can also refer to the word the word of god as bread and substance though the scriptures coming from the scriptures it's super, super jesus comes to us in the eucharist 
in the sacraments, the seven sacraments, obviously, and in the liturgy, in the worship service that we go to, we go to mass for. You know, obviously, and he comes to us through the priesthood. He comes to us uh, through the through the liturgy, the reading of the word, through the the act of penance. All that is necessary for our salvation in order for us to be formed into the image and likeness of God. You know, it's not just preaching. You can't just have a, a, a service which, where the minister preaches for 30, 40 minutes. There's the liturgy is is more than that you know that's the beautiful thing about about um the the these these catholic orthodox um you know uh orth orthodox services these these churches the apostolic churches is that there's already uh the readings are set up if you go to a protestant mostly protestant services the protestant services choose their readings for themselves they 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 stick to things that that make them happy that keep them safe but we we get a liturgical service where the readings are picked out for the whole year for the liturgical year so we we're forced to even the mid the priest is forced to focus on passages and i think it's good because it keeps them on their feet it keeps them on their feet the Ethiopian churches, the Coptic churches, the Eastern Chaldean and the Syriac churches, and the you know Orthodox and the Armenian, um, they they they're forced you know the scriptures. There's a liturgical cycle, and I think that's important because the Bible presents to us a living God. You know. A living God who has worked throughout the throughout history. There are passages very difficult to explain. It takes, you know, that's what it takes effort, and that's a beautiful thing. And here, you know, like you said, like I said, we, you know, we can take the time before going to mass and look up what exactly the original Greek says. It's hard to translate. You'll never get a perfect translation. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now. You'll never get a perfect translation. Um, but the trespasses, um, forgive. Okay, going on from there. Let's let's move on. After, uh, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Remember when I said, think of a triangle. You get God on top. At the bottom of the base of the triangle, you got yourself on one end, and across horizontally, you got your neighbor. It could be anyone you your family member it could be your friend it could be uh someone you just don't like like i'm struggling with my neighbor upstairs and sometimes i struggle with people at work you have to balance you have to balance it and our relationship with god is dependent on our relationship with my fellow man my my fellow human being <laughs> uh whether i like them or not and the thing is, they, they're, they're, it's the same with them to you, but also they're balancing their relationship with God. The pagans probably just didn't have virtues such as forgiving. They had duty to the empire, like the Romans and the Greeks. They had public 
worship, which is like a liturgy, liturgica, where everybody had to pay tribute to the gods of Rome or the gods of Greece or the gods, uh, you know, the, the Caesar, the emperor, was often looked on as a god. And they had to pay a little incense. And, you know, the Christians, when Christianity started spreading, people started to notice that they weren't doing this. And that worried them because, you know, they had three forms, basically had the philosopher, which is for the learned people. That's a, that's their idea of religion. And then there was the uh, private home religion, the private religion, you will God that you choose to worship in your house and your life that you're dedicated to. And then there is the public worship that keeps everybody in place, which is the worship of Caesar and the worship of the gods publicly. Everybody had to play a role in that. That way there'll be good crops. The empire can defeat their enemies and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's their idea of religion. But the curly Christians couldn't, could not agree with that. The philosophy part, they could take some good things out of it, but not, not the, um, the state Caesar approved philosophy. They couldn't agree with and that's what got them into trouble. And that's basically it. So loving, so they had a difficult time trying to get along with their neighbors. They wanted to be good citizens. They paid their taxes on time. The Christians were, the Christians were noticed that they were good hard workers. They, they paid their taxes on time. They, they helped people. Like if someone's cart was broken, a, a Christian comes along and helps the person to fix the cart, though he's a pagan. They they got along. They tried to get along with people, and they and they made they made good impressions, but people were starting to get worried about them. They met in private, made people paranoid. They they um, they had they um, their teachings, whatever their meetings were secretive in their religion, and they um, they didn't pay tribute to Caesar. They didn't pay incense. They didn't sprinkle a little in incense here and there. They didn't even pretend to go through the motions. That would have satisfied the the Romans, uh, the Greek, the pagans. Uh, what do you call it? Paranoia. They met secretly, and that made them that made a lot of people nervous. But the other factor here is is that the the people were also impressed. They were impressed by their 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 Christian neighbor. They were impressed by how how decent their lives were. They worked, they you know, they sometimes they said hello, they and they noticed that they were helping the sick on the street, they were helping the poor, they were helping orphans, they were helping the elderly. They helped people who, you know, the sick, they gave food out to them. This was, <clears throat> people started to notice, but then of course the numbers grew and that probably bothered them. That probably really bothered them. It bothered them a great deal. So, uh, forgive us our trespass, forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I know this part, this part here. I got a lot of people nervous because of Pope Francis wanting to change the translation. Um, admittedly, let's look at this a little bit here on the in the in the Greek text. Uh, 
All right, so the Orthodox translation has, this is, this is a translation as best I think we can understand it here. Do not br uh, bring us to a period of trial, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. Do not bring us to a period of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, well, here it's, it's, uh, it seems, I think it makes sense. I think maybe it could be that maybe translations could have been done better. But at the same time, I don't think, I don't think a lot, a lot of us, I think, are smart enough to know that it's, we're not putting blame on God. We're just saying that sometimes God does uh, permit trials to come only to strengthen us, to strengthen us, not to, not to bring us into destruction, but to strengthen our faith. And that's, that I can believe, that I do believe. You know, and in, and this is, I think it's important that we have to realize that, is that God does want us to grow and improve and to be able to be able to see in, into these, these things that often that, that plague us. And the thing is, they're always going to plague us because we're always going to be, in a sense, weak. Weak if we don't practice our faith. Um, strengthening your faith is always constantly sort of like, you know, how someone always checks their house to see if there's a leak, to see if there's any, uh, anywhere like that's constant, that, that constantly needs to be fixed because you have to constantly check if your house is fixed, if your house is, is not in, uh, is not weak. If, uh, last year's winter and storms did not weaken something, uh, is the boiler working fine? Um, you know, are there termites on the foundation? Things like this have to be constantly checked. You have to constantly check these things to see if they're okay. And to see that your own, that you're not weak, that there's no weakness in you, that there's no um, problem in you. You know, that there's, you know, you're, you're not wrestling with some kind of temptation. That's normal. The world that we live in is normal. It's normal, but it's also you, you gotta you gotta pray. And prayer is a very important thing. We need that. Okay, so um let's end it here. Um let's I'll be back with um uh Wednesday's readings. Let's end it with an our father a Hail Mary and a Saint Michael in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory now and forever amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee and blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death amen saint michael archangel of god defend us in battle be our protection against the wild wicked attack of the devil may god rebuke him we humbly pray and now o prince of the heavenly host by the divine power of god cast into hell satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world seeking the ruin of souls amen all right folks um remember just keep praying read 
uh, if you can carry a small pocket New Testament with you. Um, actually, I've been reading a book called A Manual on Fighting Deadly Sin. I'm going to talk about it with you uh, at some point. It's dealing with the seven deadly sins. Uh, I think it's something that we need to learn more about. We need we need to be able to approach these things. So hopefully um, in the future we'll talk more about it. Um, but I think right now we're doing pretty good with the daily readings, uh, which is for um, the readings that the church gives us for Lent because we really need to get familiar because this is where we get closer to G with Jesus. So again, um, don't... Um, don't stress yourself too much, but focus on what you can do for Lent. Uh, even if it's small, small acts, it's good. So God bless, be well, and we'll be back for uh, Wednesday's readings. Okay, God bless.